Well, good morning, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you on this Sunday morning here on YouTube and Facebook. For those of you who are joining us for our online worship service today, we are going to jump back in to our ongoing series that we have been teaching on through the Gospels. We're calling this series Planting, Growing, and Nurturing because we're looking at the parables of Jesus that have to do with agriculture and with living and growing things. And we're really asking the question, what do these parables teach us about what it's like as Christians to live a spiritual life? What is it that Jesus is teaching us about walking this particular way of being spiritual human beings who are learning to be planted, who are learning to grow and learning to be nurtured and thriving the way that God made us. We're going to jump back into that today. We're going to be looking at a, a disturbing parable actually from Matthew chapter 21. As Jesus nears the end of his ministry, his parables begin to take on a sharper tone as he engages with those who have positioned themselves as his enemies. So we're going to be taking a look at the parable of the wicked tenants, or as I like to think of it, the parable of the stupid tenants from Matthew chapter 21. But before we do, if you would just center your hearts and your minds with me, let's take a moment to pray and ask God to join with us as we read through this passage together. God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to join together to read through this passage of scripture to reflect on what these teachings mean and to ask you to guide us, to open up our hearts and minds, to see with fresh eyes, to, to hear with fresh ears, to be able to tune in to what it means for us to walk out a good and healthy and thriving spirituality in the way of Jesus. We pray that you would be our teacher today and that you would inspire us with these words. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, today we're going to be taking a look at Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. It's Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to go ahead and put this scripture up on the screen. You'll see in most of our Bibles a header there that says the parable of the wicked tenants or something like that. And this is where Jesus, in his return to Jerusalem, he begins to really encounter some of his most vocal and strident critics. This is happening, if you look back here at Matthew 21, this is happening right after Jesus curses the fig tree. It's happening right after Jesus cleanses the temple, right after Jesus enters into Jerusalem, has his triumphant entry. And of course, we... We jump in on this particular narrative in the middle of Jesus receiving a lot of challenge and criticism from the teachers of the law, those who don't like what he is doing. So let's pick it up there in verse 33. It says this, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. And then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. And when the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them 
in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. And so they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, this is of course Jesus telling the parable, and then he wraps up his parable by turning to his critics and says, what will the owner of the vineyard do when he finds out all of this? Verse 41, they said to him, well, he'll put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest. And then Jesus said to them, he says something interesting in response to their answer about this parable. He said, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. Jesus has some harsh words there for his critics, and they seem to understand that that's exactly what Jesus is doing. In verse 45, it says this, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. And they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. So here we have this incredibly dramatic scene from this particular portion of the Gospel of Matthew. We have Jesus having this kind of incredible confrontation with his critics, the Pharisees, the interpreters of the law, those who hold on to religious power in his day. And we know from previous parables and from previous readings of the Gospels, that Jesus is often very critical of those who hold religious power in the ancient Near East. Those who in his community are the ones who seem to hold all of the cards and use them for their own benefit. And so here Jesus tells a parable that seems to include a great deal of judgment for people who are on the wrong side of this particular story. The first thing that I wanna say here is something that I said a few weeks ago when we looked at a similar parable, and that is sometimes for many of us who are raised in churches that spoke a lot about judgment, it can be hard for us to read this parable and not see ourselves in those that Jesus is condemning especially if you were raised in a, a Christian tradition that really emphasized judgment and hell at the end of the age. It can be easy for us to, to be triggered by a parable like this and wonder if Jesus is somehow secretly saying that we are the ones who are going to be judged. And that, that fear about there being a kind of secret code to these sorts of stories that we have to work ourselves into knots to try to disentangle is, I think, compounded by the fact that this is language and imagery that we're just really not that used to. It can be hard for us to understand what exactly it is that Jesus is saying here. 
So a couple things that I want to share with you that I am noticing about this parable, and I want to invite you in the comments to share what you are noticing as well. First and foremost, this is, like I said already, Jesus's response to his critics. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's announcing the coming of the kingdom of God. That is, he's announcing the availability of God's power to bring about goodness for those who are poor, for those who are imprisoned, for those who are sick, for those who have been exploited. We've seen this over and over again in these parables that Jesus is telling a story about how God's power works and usually the twist in these parables is that God's power doesn't work the way we think it will, or God's power doesn't work the way that we think it should. We experience frustration in life trying to do what's right, trying to play by the rules, trying to tend our gardens, trying to live our lives, and sometimes fruit comes and we don't know how, we don't know why. Other times fruit doesn't come and we don't know how, we don't know why. Jesus uses these parables to illustrate that God's power comes in a way that is different than the way that we tend to think of power in this world. Specifically, Jesus is saying God's power doesn't work like the power of armies or kings or nations. That God works more slowly. God works like growing things that need to be carefully planted and cultivated and nurtured and will one day take good care of us. And we do see that in this parable. Jesus tells a parable of a landowner who purchases this plot of land and then does everything necessary to create good conditions for those who will live there. It says right at the beginning of the parable, the landowner planted a vineyard. So there are things that are growing on this property that will provide food and wine for the people who live there. That is goodness in life. And he put a fence around it and he dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. In other words, Jesus is saying that the landowner in this parable is somebody who has provided all the things that are needed in order for life on this vineyard to be good. There's a wall around it to protect the vineyard from enemies. There is a watchtower to be watchful of those uh, particular threats that might come from the outside. There are vineyards that will grow and again produce food. There's a wine press so that it can be turned into wine. In other words, those who live here have everything they need in order to live good, thriving, satisfying lives. But there is something very different about this parable than previous parables, whereas the other parables of growing and nurturing and planting that we've read have to do with the frustration of well-intentioned farmers or well-intentioned gardeners as they try to work with the slow processes of God. In this parable, we do not have well-intentioned farmers or well-intentioned tenants. What this parable reveals is that even in a good vineyard where good things will grow, that sometimes there are those who do not have good intentions. 
And so when the landowner returns and, and, and comes to get his produce, in other words, when the landowner returns and comes to get his share of the agreement, those who live there have no intention, no desire, no commitment whatsoever to be faithful to that agreement. Instead, they plot against the landowner and they kill and beat and stone his servants, even his only son. They cast out of the vineyard and murder him. This is, of course, Jesus' way of saying to those in ancient Israel that God has been patient with them, that God has sent to them prophet after prophet finally culminating in the person of Jesus, and that those who wield the power in Israel have repeatedly, continually murdered and rejected and cast out those messengers. Jesus is very explicitly accusing those religious leaders in the ancient Near East of having bad faith, of being hypocrites. This entire discourse from the book of Matthew is about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And a really key portion of this particular parable is how Jesus, at the end of the parable, he inserts this quote from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 through 15. He says to them, Have you never read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and it was amazing in our eyes. Jesus is referring to this old Isaiah narrative from Isaiah chapter 8, where God is telling Isaiah to communicate to the two tribes of Israel that because they have not worshiped God and they have not prioritized the poor, that for that reason, because they have not been faithful to their covenant with God, they are about to pay the price and be conquered by Assyria. And in that prophecy, in that warning from Isaiah chapter 8, God speaks through Isaiah and says this really curious statement. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. Or later in Isaiah chapter 8, it says that they will stumble on this stone and be crushed by it. In Isaiah 8, the stone that Isaiah is referring to is nothing less than God himself. Isaiah is saying, because you have rejected God, because you have chosen another way, because you have rejected what is good and just and righteous and true, you will now be destroyed by what is good and just and righteous and true. Now, this is a very complicated way of Jesus simply saying to the Pharisees and the interpreters of the law, you reap what you sow. That is essentially what this parable means. Jesus is saying that you have not been in relationship with God in good faith. It's not that you've made mistakes. It's not that you have fallen short. And for those of us who are perfectionists and maybe read into this passage, maybe God is going to judge me for all the ways that I have stumbled or all the ways that I have failed to live up to the very best of my possibilities. That is not what this is about. 
The tenants in the vineyard didn't make a mistake. The tenants in the vineyard didn't fall short. The tenants in the vineyard had no intention whatsoever of fulfilling their agreement with the landlord. They were intentionally deceptive. They were outwardly duplicitous. And in so doing, they murdered the servants of the landlord who came to, to work with them. That is not making a mistake. That's not simply falling short of what you could possibly be. That is to engage in bad faith to the point that you have rejected everything that is good. Jesus is saying because the tenants have rejected goodness and righteousness, they will eventually be crushed by it. That's why at the end of the story, Jesus says to the Pharisees, what do you think will happen to these tenants? And the Pharisees respond, well, the landlord is going to come and kill every last one of them and then give the land to somebody else. You see, the point here is that it was incredibly stupid, incredibly foolish for the tenants to act in this way. What did they think was going to happen? Eventually, the one who has more power, the one who is ultimately the person in authority over that land is going to come and eject them, is going to come and remove them from that property and exact justice for what they have done. This is something that we see throughout Scripture. Jesus, of course, says those who live by the sword will die by the sword in Matthew chapter 26. That is something that we have all heard in a million different forms. He who reaps, uh, he who uh, you will reap whatever it is that you sow. I love the way that Hosea chapter 8 verse 7 puts this. Whoever sows the wind will reap the whirlwind. But I think maybe the most eloquent, eloquent way that this is articulated in the New Testament is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Galatia, and he presses in on this same lesson. He is pleading with them to engage each other and their community in good faith. And in doing so, he says this, starting in verse 7, "'Do not be deceived.'" God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. And if you sow to your flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time, if we do not give up. Paul is taking this notion that we will ultimately reap what we sow, and he's applying it to our lives at the interpersonal level, at the community level, and at the church level. In every conceivable sphere of our lives, we must bear in mind that when we act in bad faith, when we act in a way that is hypocritical, when we reject what is good and righteous and just and true, and we instead pursue our own goals for our own gain and for our own self-interests, eventually, sooner or later, that will catch up to us. We will be crushed by the very thing we have rejected. 
Now, there are a couple of things in this, this passage that I take away as really good news for those of us who take these lessons to heart. And the first is this, that God deeply desires goodness. It's God's intention that we be people who live lives that are genuinely good. Jesus depicts in this parable a landlord, God, who wants the people who live in that vineyard to live good lives. God provides everything that they need so that they can live good and fruitful and thriving lives. It's God's intention that our lives would be good, full of goodness and righteousness and justice and peace. And that is who God is. It's what God is. Sometimes we can doubt that, especially when those who claim to speak for God or those who claim to represent God are bad faith actors in the world clearly pursuing their own ends for their own self-interested goals and desires. The second thing that I think is good news that we get from this parable is that God is long-suffering. God is patient. God is trying again and again in this parable to work with those wicked and foolish and stupid tenants who don't seem to understand that their actions are only going to eventually get them destroyed. God continually sends God's servants to them to try to work with them, to plead with them, to get them to act in good faith, to simply abide by the agreement that they have made. That, to me, is good news. It means that when I am likely to slip into bad faith when I am at my worst, when I'm my own worst self and I am being hypocritical and self-serving and self-indulgent, that God is patient with me, that God will send God's servants to plead with me to return to faithfulness. And the third thing that I think is good news here is that ultimately God will not be mocked. I think one of the most frustrating things about life, especially for those who are trying earnestly to do what is good, for those who are trying to live lives of faithfulness and righteousness and justice and peace, whether you are religious or not, if you are the kind of person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness and you are pursuing what is good and right in the world, one of the most frustrating things is that those who don't often profit the most. It is as plain as day that sometimes the most powerful people in our world, whether they are priests or politicians, are often the people who are so obviously full of hypocrisy. People who are doing it entirely for their own gain. And when we see that, when we see people like that, thriving and succeeding and profiting and living lives of comfort, it can be extraordinarily uncomfortable and frustrating for the rest of us. But ultimately, 
What this parable and other parables of Jesus teach is that God, in the end, will not be mocked. That the stone that they have rejected will eventually crush them. That what goes around does eventually come around. And for that reason, we don't have to take that vengeance, that justice, that righteousness into our own hands, but we can trust that eventually God will have God's way in the end. That's what I'm noticing about this passage today, this parable from Matthew chapter 21. I'm wondering what you notice, what it is that is inspiring you from this passage, or maybe what is disturbing you or frustrating you or raising questions for you about who God is or what Jesus is teaching. Whatever your thoughts, your comments, your questions, I wanna encourage you to pop them into the comments on YouTube and Facebook and engage with each other so that we can learn together what it means for us to follow after Christ in our pursuit of a good and spiritual life. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you again today for this opportunity for us to come to you through these passages of scripture, through these parables. We thank you again for the opportunity to learn together, to wrestle with these ideas, wrestle with these lessons together, to, to learn how to read the teachings that we find here and how to apply them to our lives. We ask that you would help us to grow stronger together as people who have made a commitment to following after you and your teachings. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Danny Stevens. Thanks for joining us today. Before we head off, I have a few announcements I would like to make. First of all, if you are new to Oceanside Sanctuary, we would love to connect with you. So fill out the contact info by scanning the QR code and let us know more about yourself. Secondly, the Oceanside Sanctuary and the Pilgrim United Church of Christ youth groups are joining forces again for a pizza and pottery workshop. So have some pizza and make your own mugs from clay. Don't worry, we will provide all the clay and tools. So bring a friend and have some pizza and make some mugs and all it's happening right here at OSC August 29th from 12.30 to two o'clock. Also, we need volunteers. We are looking for a couple of volunteers to be part of our welcome team and slides team. For the welcome team, you would help us set up coffee before church and welcome people into the space. For the slides team, you would help run the slides on Sunday morning. If you are interested, please talk with Alex or email Alex. And then we're gonna have Justice Works, gonna be Sunday, August 29th, 12.15 to 1.30 p.m. So if you're ready to put your faith in action on local issues, our Justice Works team is committed to organizing for actions on issues that matter to the poor, oppressed, and to the marginalized in our community. We're working on issues in three main areas, police reform, homelessness, and climate change. So if you'd like to join our team, put your faith in action on local issues, 
stick around after church for our lunch to find out more about how justice works and get to know others involved in this ministry. Very important to our church and to our community. Finally, as you may or may not know, Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit. And what that means is we rely on gifts and donations of people like you. So if you'd like to support our very important mission, consider giving a gift today at our website, or you can scan the QR code or the donation box in the back of the church. So thank you. That's it for the announcements. Have a blessed week and take care and be safe.